Hi, welcome to Off Script. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are taking a look at News of the World, the new Tom Hanks Western film directed by Paul Greengrass that features Mr. Hanks as a traveling newsman that finds a, a young girl with a mysterious past and has to travel across 1800s Texas to reunite her with her family. We're also looking at Zack Snyder's 2013 masterpiece, Man of Steel. It's available on HBO Max, the story <laughs> of Superman as seen through the eyes of the DC cinematic universe as we know it today is an interesting one. I'd never seen it. Andy has. And I'm excited to see what he thinks. Uh, we're going to look at some trailers, some things that are coming up. I think there's some good things on the horizon in 2021. There's also a couple misfires and we're going to see what some of those are. And of course, we need to get to the news. Our first story this week, Family Video is closing all remaining locations. Wah, wah. This is a bummer, man. Andy, what do you think about this? I, I'm amazed that they have been open this long that they're... I mean, this is open way longer than um, Blockbuster Video. They they had... They're closing something like 200 stores. I was like, how do they have 200 stores like still running? And uh, like, I, that's what I don't understand. It's like no one i know goes to a video store so how how have they been running for the last like 15 years yeah man uh i feel the same way every time there's a couple videos family videos in like the dallas area around us and every time i pass them i'm like shocked that they still exist um just a couple years ago i actually stopped at one just to go in and see what it was like i was thinking it was going to be like a blockbuster right or a hollywood video like you walk in and like all the all the dvds are around and it smells like popcorn and the, the carpet's kind of oddly stained and they got little movies running <laughs> on the tvs that are hanging like it wasn't even that nice dude there was like mold on the ceiling tiles and it smelled like jail and like it was it was just <laughs> terrible i was I, like it was so sad and and i just got out of there as fast as i could like i i i love video rental places i always wanted to work at one when i was a kid um i always wanted to be a part of it and i never did I kind of missed that train. And in a way, Family Video was like a nostalgic piece of that, right? A, a look back at the past. But it turns out it's just like a really, really sad, tired old dog that needs to be put down. And it's finally going to happen. Yeah, like I, I'm amazed that they could even like keep the lights on it's, in, yeah. in, in hundreds of stores across the country. Yeah. Um, um, my favorite part of this... <laughs> The chain has been struggling the past few years and trying to sustain itself by wiping past account fees, selling CBD oil, and launching the Save the Video Store campaign. That's the best part about family video in 2020. Uh, they had signs on the front that was like, we now sell CBD oil. And that's when you know they're doomed, right? Like when the local yep. video place is trying, trying, to, trying to get on the CBD boom. What a bummer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I I remember I mean I I had friends who used to go uh, work at Blockbuster. You know I'm definitely a product of the Blockbuster era. You know I used to love going on Friday night and just kind yeah. of crab walking down the the back wall and seeing <laughs> what's what's uh you know what's hot and new and coming out or oh there's that movie that I meant to see and didn't and um, yeah end of an era. Yeah, man, it really is like an era kind of long since passed. So I love that they stuck it out as far as they did. They're going to be uh, liquidating uh, movies, video games, CBD projects and products and store fixtures. So if you have a family video near you, I'd be worth swinging in and seeing what you could get. Of course, you can get CBD oil, but you might be able to get some old movies, right? Like the selection in the one I was at was terrible. They had like liquidated all of their like, you know, old classics and it was all just modern trendy stuff, which I don't know, I, whatever. I don't know why that was a strategy, but, um, you know, might be able to get something cool, a little piece of swag, t-shirt or something. Who knows? 
Our next story, uh, Quibi... <laughs> is, is kind of coming back in, in a small way because the rights to all of their streaming shows have been acquired by Roku. This is something I didn't think was going to happen, but apparently it has. Andy, what do you know about this? <laughs> right. So just to remind everyone, Quibi was this streaming service uh, that they tried to get off the ground uh, last summer. Um, th- their approach was to have really short form videos, things for, that were shows that were like five to seven to ten minutes long, um, that, things that you could watch on like a, com- a subway commute, something like that, or in your car if you're not the one driving, I guess. Um, it, but, you know, you had to sign up, you had to pay for it. It was something like seven or eight bucks a month. Um, and it was a complete failure. No one signed up. It was like a billion dollar <laughs> loss. Uh, everyone lost their money. And uh, they've had a really hard time finding anyone to buy any of the shows and the properties because there was this kind of deal with the artists that all the artists could get to retain like the rights to their shows after seven years. So Apple didn't want to buy them because of that, because they didn't, they want to own the, the property in perpetuity. So um, Roku has scooped them up probably for pennies on the dollar. And so these uh, handful of shows and whatever content was on there is now going to be available on Roku devices uh, after not, not too long, which I think it, I think it'll be free if you, you know, it's just something that they're going to offer, I think with ads. Um, and so that's kind of what that story is. Yeah. I I'll be really interested to see how Roku positions this stuff right like in their library traditionally if you own a roku you know that you've just kind of got a series of channels in there and you can find like individual content but you have to go search for it so i don't know how they're going to do that whether they're not whether they're just going to like throw shows up in the channels or they're just going to make like a quibi channel and that's the one i hope they do like the logo and everything i hope like it you know spiritual spiritual successor lives on in there but um, what's interesting about this to me is how they got the content, because when Quibi was kind of circling the drain, there was a rumored deal with Apple to buy them, uh, for Apple to, to buy the Quibi library and, and run it. And, and Apple didn't end up, or sorry, not to buy the library, to buy basically the service. And Apple ended up not doing it because Apple found out that Quibi didn't own any of their content. They had limited rights to it, right? They didn't own it in perpetuity. And what that means is this. When Jeffrey Katzenberg, the founder of Quibi, also historically uh, uh, involved with Disney, founded DreamWorks Jeffrey Katzenberg, started Quibi, he signed a deal with all of the A-list talent there that they would own the rights to the show they're in after seven years so after seven years if you're in a show there you own that show right jennifer lawrence will own the content she was in uh uh, uh, dane dehan was in a show he will own that that's enticing that's how that's how they managed to get the actors and the star power they did that's maybe not the worst move but that's what knocked apple off roku is still honoring this deal these actors and actresses will still own this content but for the next few years you'll be able to find it on roku not necessarily a bad move but an interesting way to bring in some stars yeah it was real interesting i mean the whole quibi thing has been kind of a disaster from beginning to end like we knew no one was gonna sign up for this we didn't sign i signed up for a free trial and i watched like a like a couple of episodes of a show there was one with sophie turner that i watched like the first two episodes they were 10 minutes each but um yeah it just wasn't enough to keep keep me uh interested much less paying for yeah so 
I don't know. That's the story on Quibi. Also, I, I should have done my research before we started talking. It says right here, uh, Quibi, will be, Quibi will be available for free on Roku with ads, and it'll be in the Roku channel. So if you have a Roku, that's where you can find it. I do not. So I probably won't be checking out Quibi content anytime soon. Maybe when I'm uh, visiting my parents in, in, at home in Houston. Our last story this week, Netflix massive 2021 film slate will deliver new movies every single week this year. This is interesting. Right? Uh, Netflix put out this big, like, two-and-a-half-minute teaser featuring a bunch of stars, a bunch of talent, A-list people, to say that every single week there will be at least one new feature film on Netflix. Something you haven't seen before, right? Not not just an old rerun of, of, of an older movie. This is new stuff from, from, from new talent, new stars. Um, definitely a bold claim. Yeah, um... Content is king, and you gotta have new. You either gotta have classics, you know, things like Friends or things like Marvel and Star Wars, the way Disney Plus has, or you gotta have new content. And uh, you know, we know that Netflix has always been quantity over quality, and they're gonna be kicking it up a notch. And that's, I mean, that it does add value to their their service. And when you, if you're getting four, if that means you're getting four new movies a month for the same, you know, fourteen ninety nine, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's really not a bad move. Uh, I, I was really impressed by kind of the star talent in here. Dwayne Johnson, Melissa McCarthy, Halle Berry, Jason Momoa, Amy Adams, Ryan Reynolds, Chris Hemsworth, Lin-Manuel Miranda are just a few of the people that are featured in here. That's not even like the up-and-coming folks who are really just starting to get a foothold in the industry. They've got a ton of films featured. And what's really intriguing about this, besides the entire list that they feature in this Variety article, is that Netflix has kind of already been doing this. Last year, they released like 72 original films. That's plenty for one a week. So they've already been putting out what would be a new a new film every week, but now they're specifically angling their marketing and messaging around offering something new. Not a bad move. I, I think that's a smart way to advertise what you're doing considering you're already doing it. And these little snippets of these films that are included in here offers some, uh, you know, a little sneak peek of what's to come. I know that I saw some stuff in there that I was already interested in. Um, what about you, Andy? Anything jump out at you? I haven't actually taken a look at, at the list. I just skimmed it. How but w- w- what is it? what is interesting, though, is that uh, we need to not forget that basically the 2021 film year is kind of just screwed like we might be able to get back in theaters in the fall at the earliest um so this everything going to streaming is is a smart idea and that's a lot of their films are probably things that were meant for theaters that just got sold to them yeah uh, I, I'm interested to see in this short list, well, it's a long list, but just a short list it for you. Um, there's a new film called Red Notice that's coming out starring Gal Gadot, uh, Dwayne Johnson, and Ryan Reynolds. I don't know what that's about. Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead uh, will be coming out starring Dave Bautista. Lin-Manuel Miranda has a new musical coming out starring Andrew Garfield called Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, there's some stuff going on over over on Netflix. And, and for what it's worth, I was reading earlier today, uh, in 2020, Netflix's market share of streaming subscribers slid from 31% of households to 28 All right. So they took a little bit of a dip last year. Not too bad, but people are starting to notice, hey, I'm not getting as much value out of Netflix as I can. Um, Especially with competition like Disney Plus, I think it is wise for Netflix to kind of pivot and find a new approach. 
I think this is a good way to do it. There's going to be a ton of stuff on there that we're going to watch on this show. So if you want to keep up with what's going on on Netflix, subscribe to Offscript Film Review, rate and review, follow us on Facebook. I don't know. Holla at your boys and uh, we'll keep (laughs) up with you and keep up with the news. With that, we need to get to the news in our review for News of the World. That is the worst segue I've ever done on this show. It writes uh, itself, man. It writes itself. It's so good. Uh, I'm going to be handling the summary for this one, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The film is News of the World. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd, and I'm here tonight to read the news from across this great world of ours. So they pay you to tell stories. I ain't never heard of that as a thing a man can do. It's not a rich man's occupation, as you can see. So, news of the world is the story of Captain Jackson Kidd, I believe is his name, Uh, played by Tom Hanks. He's a Civil War veteran that travels the world, or really Texas primarily, to read the news to for to anybody who's willing to pay 10 cents to listen. Uh, for folks who can't read out in the 1800s Wild West, he's a storyteller. He's a, he's a reminder that the world is larger than they imagine, and, and Tom Hanks does a brilliant job of delivering the news in that way. He's a very heartwarming individual, you understand. But in his travels, he uncovers a mysterious girl, a young woman who was kidnapped by the Kiowa tribe, who doesn't speak English and uh, has a mysterious past that he has to help her uncover. So he decides to travel with her across the state along the way, of course, delivering the news and getting into a couple of... Uh, troubling uh, uh, running into some running some troubling individuals out there in the wild west to hopefully return her to her home and maybe find out a little bit more about who he is and why he's been out here traveling all this time the movie stars tom hanks it is directed by paul greengrass the director of most of the born identity films and united 93 uh i am looking forward to talking about this film but i want to know of course andy what did you think of news of the world um, well, like I told you after I saw this, it's fine. And I don't mean that as a negative thing. It is just, it's well-made. Tom Hanks is good. You know, it's it's a kind of gruff, look, authentic-looking Western. Um, but it's also not anything standout. Doesn't, there's nothing special about it. And, we, you know, we talk about Westerns a lot on, on this show. And it's it's fine. It's, it's like a really good Hallmark slash Disney movie. Uh, you know, it's heartwarming. We got a great performance, like I said, by, uh, Tom Hanks, his great father daughter, uh, relationship and some backstory. It, it dips its toes in some more mature themes and subjects, but, but doesn't like really get into it very much. Um, there's a, you know, there, we get some action. There's a couple, couple of shootouts. We we stumble across kind of this this weird town, this bit of Lord of the Flies, uh, where these these group of people have kind of made their own kind of strange community. Um, so it's fine. <laughs> it's a fine movie, but it's just it it's lacking. It just doesn't have like that standout thing. When I think of neo western things like the 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 true grit remake or hell or high water or no country for old men, you know, uh, something along these lines. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. This movie is like, okay. 
It's not great. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not even necessarily good. It's not bad. It's just okay. And I couldn't shake this feeling when I was watching it. That like, if it weren't for Tom Hanks, if Tom Hanks wasn't the lead, if this was some like no name actor, right, or maybe some up and comer who'd been in a couple features, and they think this might be their big break, this would not be in theaters. This would have gone straight to streaming. I, I, I don't even know if this necessarily should have been in theaters, just simply for the quality. It, it, it carries this message, I think, of, of how important the news is, how important perspective is to like travel and, and, and tell people what's going on in the world and remind people that the world is bigger than just what they see around them, right? Um, Texas is, is just following, this is the 1800s, so we're just following the Civil War. There's a lot of people who do not like these Union soldiers who are hanging around their towns, right? It seems in some places we're on the verge of revolution. And, and it just doesn't come across clear enough. It doesn't come across strong enough. I think it's trying to juggle this plot line with this girl and, and Tom Hanks' past, and ultimately it just comes off flat and it doesn't ring as loud as it needs to. Uh, so let's jump right into what works. And I think the first place to start is the performances. Like I said, this is fundamentally a Tom Hanks vehicle and he is the best part of this film, hands down. He doesn't really have the opportunities, I think, to flex his acting chops, especially like the deep emotion that he showed in uh, Captain Phillips, another Paul Greengrass film and why I assume he is in this movie because he'd worked with him in the past. But he does get some opportunities, especially in the third act towards the end of the movie, to re- really slow down and and kind of, you know, get, just emote through his eyes, give, the, give that kind of like deep performance that we expect from Hanks. He's, he's charismatic when he needs to. He's funny at reading the news. People laugh at him. Some people get frustrated with him. But as kind of this loose father figure for this girl that is, as they're traveling, I think he does a great job. Helena Zengel is the girl. This is her first feature, as far as I know. She does not speak English. Uh, she speaks Kiowa throughout the film. She is okay, right? Uh, she's a child actor. She doesn't speak English. She's frustrated and mad the whole time that she's getting dragged around by this guy until she kind of comes around in the third act. Um, she's all right. Other than that, there's 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 a couple other interesting people. Elizabeth Marvel is in this movie for like one scene. I assume they had her on set for like one day. Ray McKinnon is also in this movie for like one scene. Uh, other than that, it's kind of a whole lot of nobodies. And and you know, I I I think that's a problem. I I think it doesn't. It, this movie doesn't feature enough dynamic characters to warrant a dynamic enough dynamic actors and actresses to give the movie some weight and some range. It kind of just leans on a whole lot of people we don't know. And, and that I think hurts the film. Yeah. It's also, it's, I found it really just kind of predictable. Um, like there were things that, you know, are kind of hinted at in act one. And I, I totally knew where it was going by act three. Like nothing really kind of surprises you. It, it does. I do think there are these interesting themes of like communication, you know, they have trouble communicating with each other because of the language barrier and then you know tom hanks is communicating like the news of the world but also just like stories is is kind of the the bigger theme there he's he's bringing like positive stories from around the world to these people and then also this idea of home and and all the characters kind of looking for home um hanks is uh, he's been away from home for several years you have uh Joanna, I can't remember her name. Uh, Joanna, who was she, she was actually been taken from her family by uh, the Kiowa tr- Indians, and then she was taken from the Kiowa Indians after living with them for several years by you know some other raiding party. So she's kind of, and they're trying to get her home. So this this kind of like nomad 
people without a home is uh is is a theme through the film uh but yeah it's just like it's it's fine <laughs> like i said it's a tom hanks vehicle it's tom hanks being tom hanks like he's being old and wise um and not not too much outside of that yeah, it, it, it definitely feels a little long in the tooth. It's it's just about two hours, and, like, it totally should have been, like, 90 minutes. It should have just moved a little faster. Um, yeah. Once he kind of gets the girl and they start moving along, uh, they start traveling from city to city to try to get uh, to... I forget the name of the city where they're going, um, but uh, he finds out that her mother has a sister uh, that, that they're like, well, okay, we can try to try to go to there and, and kind of meet up with them. And that, that's a good, that's a good finish line for our characters, right? We've got our journey. We understand where they need to go. There'll be some exposition along the way. They'll get to the end. That's your movie, right? It's almost a road film, right? And, and Tom Hanks out in the old West is a lot of fun. I, I think the movie features a lot of, uh, pretty pretty good costuming especially for hanks obviously being the main character he looks very sweaty and dirty when he's out here on the road and this little caravan he's got like it, it feels very homely i was impressed i should say with the general set design of the towns they all feel very different um you know he, he goes to dallas and it's a little bigger and it's a little bit more broad but a lot of low buildings he goes to this kind of outskirt town in the middle of nowhere that's been overrun by by people who refuse to acknowledge that the war is over and it's like torches and pitchforks all over he goes he ends up in san antonio at the end of the film and we get the alamo much larger we get these kind of pueblo buildings like the general design of the cities, the exteriors, the costuming, I think all that stuff worked fine. But additionally, the music is a little lackluster. It doesn't do anything outstanding. And while I'm at it, if you're looking at the trailer, because we're running this on Facebook Live, the coloring in this movie is terrible. There's no like <laughs> dynamic colors. There's no rich reds or bright everything's greens. brown. Yeah, everything's just kind of washed out and dirty. And, and I thought maybe... Maybe it would be, I don't know, a little different in the final edit. Maybe this was the trailer, but like, no, it's kind of just the way it is. It's like the sepia tone almost that they're going for that makes it just feel a little washed out and dull. It it reminded me of, of just like a Western from the 90s. Like this is something like, you know, you would take take your parents to see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it it's, it's safe. It's heartwarming. And like I said, we, we hint at like some darker themes like you know there's a, a gang of guys who wants to to buy joanna uh that you know they meet these other people in this weird town who you know say nasty things about having to deal with mexicans and indian raids and you know so there are hints at a lot darker things but it, i feel like the movie doesn't really explore it in fact that's why at the beginning when we when he finds joanna uh her her wagon has been overturned and her, and her driver has been hung who's a black man yeah uh so you know there it, there are some really dark things but then it's not really ever like taken head on it's just like ooh here's some racism yeah and and this this kind of bit of a, a thing going on with like the union soldiers in the towns and 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 the townsfolk who are obviously southern who 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 were part of the confederacy like that's interesting and that plays in a little bit with the news that he's reading but like it never really comes to a head anywhere it's just kind of the way the world is and he just kind of slides through it uh he has a past he was a a uh, officer in the confederacy um, obviously he's not anymore and he has loyalty papers that he has to show to union officers, but like that never, it's never given any real atmosphere or tone. Like it's just kind of flat. And, and I feel like in the hands of a director with a bit more patience, a bit more nuance, they would have done longer takes. They would have done kind of more sincere moments with Hanks, just kind of thinking or pondering or posturing about what's next for him and, and, and Joanna. Instead, it, it, 
somehow feels like it moves a little too fast and additionally too slow. And the reason is because the few action scenes we do get, in which I think Hank seems to be having a good time. There's a couple shootouts, and I like seeing Tom Hanks getting in an Old West shootout. That's cool. I haven't seen that in a really long time in film. Um, that stuff plays great, but there's like two action scenes in the film maybe three if you really want to stretch for one and other than that it's a whole lot of just like tom hanks and this little girl just out on the road not talking and and that's that's it's not it's not really compelling i don't think yeah i i agree there's not uh, much more I have to say about right. it. Right. Yeah. I, I wish I had more to say. I think there's a couple good monologues from Hanks. Again, this is a Tom Hanks vehicle. Uh, somebody said it so well on, on, on Reddit when I went looking for, for kind of impressions of this film after I saw it. Somebody said, this is like an Old West movie you take your dad to. Like, yeah, it's totally. not great. Like I said, it's take not your bad. Parents. Yeah, it's, it's kind of harmless. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, Andy, you ready to move on to recommendations? I am. Andy, would you recommend News of the World? I would say save it for streaming if you're interested. It's playing in theaters right now. It is not doing well financially. Um, it'll go to a streaming service probably pretty quick. Um, but like, I, I wouldn't rent it. I would just wait till it's it's free. Uh, like I said, it's it's a perfect like. Uh, and it, this came out on Christmas Day. Christmas Day, and it, it's a perfect like Hallmark family film. You know, it's it's heartwarming. There are some, there's a little bit for everyone, but not really enough for any one, one uh, area, but it, it's fine. It's very safe. It's Hank's being Hank's like, it's fine. It does need to be shorter. Yeah. I, I'm in the same boat. I, I'm a little, frankly, uh, disappointed with, with Paul Greengrass. I didn't know this was a Paul Greengrass film when we got to the end of the movie and his name came up. I was like shocked and looked him up on IMDb. Like what else has he done? I know I know his name and he's done things like Captain Phillips, United 93, the Bourne films. Like he's made some pretty good movies, nothing outstanding, but I think stuff that's just a little bit more exciting than this one. This is, I think there's a strong message here. I, th I think there's a soul to this film, but it just doesn't come through and it just kind of lands flat. So it's okay. I, yeah, hundred percent wait for streaming as well. I don't, I don't think you're missing anything by not rushing to theaters and paying 10 bucks to see this movie. Uh, I'd, I'd say, you know, if you really want to see it, check it out there. Otherwise you just like, I don't let it slide. You're not, you're not missing anything. So that's yeah. news of the world. Uh, next up, we need to talk about some trailers that are coming out. And normally before the show, Andy and I figure out what exactly we're going to talk about. And then we divvy it up and then we split them <laughs> up and do that. But we haven't. So Andy, what, what, what are you thinking here? How do you want to split these up? I'll, I'll take, take the I'll third one. Cause I, I I'll take, okay. I'll take the first one here. Great. Go for it. It's time for the trailer park. So the first thing we're going to be looking at is a new trailer that actually came out last week. It's called Lockdown. And this is actually a quarantine, as in this year, 2020, 2021, a quarantine rom-com heist film uh, starring, uh, not, that's not Chewy, Tell Edge of Four, uh, is it? Um, uh, yes, it is. And 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 Ath Anne Hathaway, who are um, like high-end jewelers, or they work in, they're kind of an affluent couple, and everything's shutting down because of the pandemic, including their store, and they're going to be broke. So they decide, 
hey, we, we're like high-level managers. We know the systems. We know everything about it. Let's rob the high-end jewelry store we, we work at. And I think this is in London. Um, and so that's that's kind of the premise. And it looks kind of fu- funny. And uh, these are two great actors. It feels weird to me to ha- have like a quarantine film. Like I know it's relevant, but it's like it's weird because we're still living through it. You know, it's funny when when quarantine really got underway and and there was like nobody on the roads, right? People weren't working the first like like the first month, like when it really kicked off, and like nobody was out. I, I was out at the grocery store for something, driving home, and there were like no cars in the road. And I was thinking at the time, I thought to myself, "Hey, man, wouldn't it be cool to tell a story?" about people committing a crime in this environment, right? When everybody's staying away, you're out taking advantage. That's interesting. And that's what this movie is fundamentally, right? It's this couple who uh, are a bit of an odd couple, maybe not getting along so well, who decide they're going to take a swing at a heist. And that's exciting. I like the star power behind it, right? Anne Hathaway is good stuff. Chiwetel Ejiofor is solid. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I probably need to look that up at some point in my life. Uh, and for what it's worth, for a movie going straight to HBO Max, I think we could do worse. So I'm interested. It's obviously got Zoom, right? There's some there's some teleconferencing happening in this movie because they shot a lot of it during the pandemic. Um, I don't know. Yeah, if, yeah, it's crazy that, I mean, we, at this point, we are approaching a year almost of, of being in quarantine. And in that time, they have written and produ- filmed and produced and distributed a, a movie. Sure. Um, Why? They, they did, yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's a it's a little it's a little strange. Um, but it it's it's kind of interesting that it's coming out very quickly. Like the trailer literally dropped last week, and it's coming out to watch this week. Yeah, it's it's a little surreal that like the trailer's here and it will be out. So that's uh, that's something we might be talking about in the future. Uh, our next trailer is for a movie called Malcolm and Marie. So Malcolm and Marie is a story of love. It specifies in the trailer it is not a love story. It's a story about love. The film features John David Washington and Zendaya as what appear to be two star-crossed lovers hanging out at home for the weekend. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what's happening here because the trailer says a little bit more about tone than it does about feature, but it is a black and white film filmed almost exclusively in one location. A little bit of interior, a little bit of exterior. They're in some kind of house or apartment and the two of them are arguing, fighting, getting along, all kinds of stuff. Seems like a story about two people who maybe are destined to be together or maybe aren't. Uh, this movie is a Netflix feature. It is directed by Sam Levinson. And that's what's most interesting. The director behind Assassination Nation and more recently, HBO's Euphoria. For those of you who don't know, Assassination Nation was a good movie. You shouldn't sleep <laughs> yeah. on it. And Euphoria, also I've heard, is really fantastic as well. So, Andy, what do you think about Malcolm and Marie? It looks interesting. It looks super, super art house. It's like you said, it's in black and white. It's basically a character drama with just these two people. Um, love John David Washington. Like a- after seeing him in Tenet and um, Black Klansman, like I'll see anything he's in. He's, he's a really charismatic actor. Um, it's, it's funny because I mostly know Zendaya from <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> the Spider-Man series. Oh, God, do you? Oh, dude, where you where she's, she's not like a super like charismatic character in that um but but i know she's she's a big deal i know she's in euphoria yeah um and has a lot of film credits so uh yeah th- these are two great actors like i said it looks it looks like this movie's too long <laughs> already to me <laughs> so it's an hour and 46 minutes and it's just two people in their house um but I, i'll well definitely why we'll probably watch it for the show it does look good but it looks super art house yeah i think this is another pandemic feature 
Like, right, very, very limited cast. There are only two two people featured in this trailer. There are no extras anywhere. Like, this is it, right? Um, and, and what's interesting to me is it reminds me of Joss Whedon after he did Avengers, and he snuck away to, like, his summer home for a couple weeks and shot an interpretation, uh, a reimagining of a Shakespeare play with a couple of his friends from Firefly. I don't remember the name of that movie. It escapes me. But he wanted to get get away and just do something smaller, do something intimate, get away from that big budget. Not that Euphoria has a huge budget on HBO or anything. Not that Assassination Nation was like this giant feature. But I can appreciate directors doing this stuff. I think it's a really excellent exercise in tone. I think it's an excellent exercise in patience to step back and drain color away, drain pace away, take away the budget and say, hey, I'm just trying to tell a compelling story. That's good stuff. So even if this movie isn't a big hit, I think it's a solid move for Sam Levinson. I wish I could get Zack Snyder to do something like this. So we will likely be watching Malcolm and Marie on the show. Like I said at the top, if you want to know more, subscribe to Offscript and you can keep up with us. Our last one we need to talk about is a movie called Earwig and the Witch, which is a strange name until you realize it's made by Studio Ghibli, right? The studio behind Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, Howl's Moving Castle, Castle in the Sky, Nausicaa, a, a ton of fantastic animated films from Japan that have, of course, been brought here by Disney. Studio Ghibli has made some incredible films. If you're not familiar, I would highly encourage you to jump on HBO Max where you can see, I think, the whole library on there at any time. And you should start watching those movies immediately. They are stunning. They're traditionally directed by Hayao Miyazaki, but this is a Goro Miyazaki picture because Hayao is retired. Goro is his son. And Irig and the Witch is the story of Irwig, a young, belligerent orphan who is adopted by what appears to be a witch who's got some magic going on behind the scenes. And, and Earwig, of course, begins to get involved and they get into some kind of wacky adventures. Uh, it's definitely a Studio Ghibli storyline, but it's not Studio Ghibli animation as we traditionally know it. This is a CGI film. This is not like hand-drawn animation. It is entirely CGI. And it's weird to look at because they've never made a movie like this. Normally, it's hand-drawn animation all over, maybe a little bit of like CGI to help dress it up, but this is the style of their hand-drawn animation. It looks like their characters, and it looks like if you picked a frame, right, just froze it anywhere in the movie, and you hand-drew it, it would look exactly like one of their hand-drawn features, but it's not. It's animated, and it's interesting. So I wanted to see, Andy, you know Studio Ghibli movies. What do you think about this? So it's like you said. It's interesting that it's a, it's the like their first CGI film. Um, it it does. It looks kind of strange be, because of that. Uh, I think normally, if this wasn't a studio Studio Ghibli film, I don't think I would be interested in it. But because I know they do good work, I will. It it, it again. It's very kid friendly. It looks a little kind of generic but uh generally the, their stories are anything but so it looks okay i definitely will reserve judgment in, until uh you know if we get around to seeing it yeah i i i'm kind of in the same boat it doesn't i i was very skeptical when i found out it was cgi and then i watched the movie watched the trailer and was like oh it's still got like the look they've got the same art direction they've always had looks like it's paced the same way so we'll have to see i don't i don't really know about earwig and the witch but i'm excited to find out more um it's worth mentioning before we jump out of it studio ghibli's done a little bit of work around cgi uh recently they they put out a film a series on amazon prime for kids i forget the name of it but that is cgi that kind of looks like anime it's like this weird hybrid style and then they've made a couple of video games in collaboration with 
I forget the studio um, that are uh, their work as well. And that's CGI. So they've, they've done other multimedia with CGI, but this is their first movie in four years. They have not put out anything in four years. And now we have this. So I will be watching it. I hope we watch it for the show. Keep it on off script for more. Now we need to get to the real feature of this episode. The reason we've been doing off script for 129 episodes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Andy uh, is very excited to talk about this film. I'm excited for you to talk about it because we've been trying to get to talk about this movie for a very long time. We're finally here. Andy, please take it away. Man of Steel. So we're going to be talking about the 2013 uh, Superman reboot, uh, remake, whatever you want to call it. The genesis of the DCEU directed by Zack Snyder, starring uh, Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill. You got me saying Cavill. Henry Cavill. That's been... Henry Cavill, uh, yeah. That really launched him into stardom and uh, brought him to uh, American audiences, to modern audiences. Um, the story is we start on the planet Krypton uh, with the, kind of the destruction of, of Krypton and a lot of kind of political things that are going on there. And we very quickly crash land on, on Earth. And then actually we skip a lot of the traditional um, origin story things, like maybe because people are kind of familiar with the Superman origin. We don't spend a lot of time in Kansas. We, we skip things like, um, you know, discovering the powers, learning, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. We kind of skip all these and we skip to Superman as a grown man trying to find kind of his place in the world. And more importantly, like trying to find out where he comes from. It's very much like, uh, like I mean, he is an adopted kid, and that's kind of the story: is who, who am I? Who are my people? I know I'm different. Where do I come from? So he spends kind of the first half of the film grappling with those questions and seeking answers. And then the second half of the film, this is kind of, this almost feels like two different movies. The second half, it deals with the arrival of General Zod, who is also from Krypton and also has the same um, abilities as Superman and who kind of wants to take over Earth and create a new planet for Kryptonians. Um, so there's a lot that works about this film. There's a lot of things that I love. There's a lot that doesn't. And I, I've seen this, pro I don't know how many times, I've seen it a lot. Um, and as a comic book, uh, you know, fan. There's a lot of great things for if you're if you're a fan of the Superman mythos or you're really familiar with it. There's a lot in there for you. If you're not, there's I think the, there's difficulties, and you see pro the problems that the DC EU has. Um, you see them a lot happening uh, even here in the first uh, film. So, Zach, what did you think of Man of Steel? So this is my first outing with Man of Steel. I did not see it in 2013. Uh, at the time, I was attending film school. Uh, I should say I was going to college and taking film classes. And uh, I knew a lot of people that went and saw it because the trailer was really compelling, right? Like it, it's, it's a whole lot of imagery and not a whole lot of speaking, not a whole lot of dialogue. And that's different for a comic book movie. It was different tone. This was after The Dark Knight. This was after The Dark Knight Rises. This was something new. It was coming from Zack Snyder, the director of... Watchmen and 300 and and <laughs> Dawn of the Dead, the remake. 
This was something different. There was something happening here. It was a new Superman and, and it had an energy to it and a buzz to it that felt new. But I remember people seeing it and saying, it's okay. And some people liked it and other people didn't, but I kept hearing it's okay. And, and I think watching it now, looking at it now, I think in my opinion, it looks a little better in the rear view mirror because we've seen where Zack Snyder's DC we've seen it go worse. <laughs> yeah, we've seen where it's gone. Like we, we've seen where it's headed. And this movie features some missteps for sure. It is not a perfect movie by any means. There's this kind of lean on subversion of expectations that Snyder is all about. The, the, the show Smallville was rolling at this time. Uh, we already knew a lot about, about Superman, right? Everybody knows the origin story. It's just like Batman and Bruce Wayne. Like, we all know how he comes off Krypton. So Snyder really wanted to subvert expectations and go with different imagery and different environments and different events and even a different different method of telling our story here um, through kind of fractal presentation to do something different and new. I don't think that worked. I think that was a misfire. But I think the casting, I think the presentation, I think the cinematography, even the soundtrack, all of that's fantastic. The elements of this movie work great, but the way it's put together is the problem. And I think there's there's some signs of hope for what Snyder has done because I think there's a vision here that truly is strong. Um, it's just paced and structured poorly. So where do we start talking about this movie? Um, well, I, I wanted to mention, so this movie did okay financially. It did not do what they thought it would do. You know, they were hoping this would be a billion dollar property. They were really trying to piggyback off the Dark Knight Rises, which had come out the year before. The trailer came out with the, the Dark Knight Rises. Um, you know, Christopher Nolan was loosely uh, involved in the project. Uh, David S. Goyer, who, who wrote the Dark Knight or who co-wrote the Dark Knight, wrote this story. So they were, they were trying to really hype it up. And it just was kind of disappointing, I think, for a lot of people. Didn't make near the money it, sh it should have. And that actually spurred them to then really rush things like Batman versus Superman and Justice League. You know, we never got another a sequel to this film, which I think is sorely needed. Um, so it, it was not the success they had hoped for. It wasn't a failure or a disaster. It was just underperformed. Anyways, let's start with the plot. So in the first five minutes, one of the big problems in this movie, there is way too much going on. There are... In, literally in the first five minutes, there are five, four or five major plot lines introduced. You have the birth uh, of Superman, the birth of Kal-El. You have the dis imminent destruction of Krypton. You have this insurrection uh, by General Zod, uh, played brilliantly by Ma Michael Shannon. He's so good in this film. Dude, and then he's you good have everything. Yeah, and then you have this this thing about the Codex, and that, that's another problem I have as kind of not a purist, but as someone who knows the comic. He introduces this thing about like the codex, which is this like thing that records genetic material, and that is nowhere to be seen anywhere in like any kind of Superman mythology comic, like anything. And it's just, it's re it's a really clumsy device, and you know, it's it's not about like I'm not a, not being a purist. It's just it doesn't add anything, and I think it just confused a lot of people, and it added another plot line on a very comp like four other ones. Yeah, um, the opening of this film is surprising. I did not think it was going to start on Krypton. I, I thought Snyder's doing something different. He's going to start with 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 Kal-El, right? Clark Kent doing his thing. Then maybe we'll get some flashbacks. No, it opens on Krypton. And, and, and that was a surprise. But Krypton in this film is not just like uh, a launch bay where like Kal-El's parents are like loading him into the escape pod, like hitting the go button and it takes off. You're on Krypton for like 20 minutes. 
Yeah. Like you're there for a while and it's an entirely fleshed out world with technology and landscapes and set design and costuming. It looks like something, it looks like a planet out of like Marvel's guardians of the galaxy. Like yeah. it's different, but it's its own thing. It has its own identity with art direction. It's a very strong start to the film. In my opinion, even though it's a story we've seen before, there's something new to it, right? Kal-El's parents have tone, they have character, they have direction. General Zod is is doing this insurrection. There's there's a council that does not believe that the world is going to blow up and that the emperor has no clothes, right? Like there's apocalypse, there's 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 all of these problems. There's a battle scene. I think it's a strong start to the film. I really do. Like I I enjoyed that. I didn't think that was a bad thing and I think it sets some good tone for what was going to come. What I didn't expect was all of those things were going to matter. Right. They talked about the codex for 20 minutes. I didn't even care. I thought that was just some bunk. They were like, just getting through the first 20 minutes of turns out like it's actually important in the film. General Zod, I knew came around because I'd heard, of course, how the film ends. Uh, we won't talk about it here, but I knew there was some, 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 some CG. I beat him up, you know, as is prone to early superhero films like this one. Um, I knew Russell Crowe was in it. I, I I didn't expect that to have much larger implications throughout the rest of the story, but it does. And I wonder if that's why Snyder put this kind of codex device in there to remind us of like Kal-El's past, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't, I don't really know, but, but I think parts of it work, parts of it don't. Yeah. Like I said, for me, it's just, it's way, it's almost too much. And it just, it rushes like it, the first, the the opening scene and scenes are like tw- about twenty minutes, like you said, um, and there's just so much going going on. So I think you could have cut down. Like I said, the, this doesn't feel like an origin movie in a lot of ways. Like you usually have, like I said, things like um, you know, hero discovers their powers. They discover like what how to use them what it means to use them and by the end of the film like they you know they have their suit and some bad guys showing up in the third act for them to beat up you know that if you look back at like the toby Maguire suit uh spider-man or the first captain america movie like th- those are a really good example or uh, something like unbreakable which is a fantastic uh example uh that looks at that like what does it mean really mean if you if you were stronger than everyone else um we kind of, like I said, we skip all that and we spend more of the, the first half of the movie about like questions of, about who I am. Like I said, this feels like two different movies to me and I feel like the first half should have been its own movie and then the second half almost feels like a sequel and it's also kind of the exact same plot of Superman 2, the, the Richard Donner version ver- or the, you know, from the 80s or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't so much mind the transition into Earth. Um, because this is where the film starts to jump around a little bit. From Krypton, uh, the first time you would think we would see Clark Kent is maybe as a young boy growing up on the Kent farm, right? Getting a lesson from his dad, playing catch, something like that. Maybe you'd get uh, older Clark Kent working out in Smallville, right? Uh, uh, doing his thing, go, go, going driving in his old pickup truck. Maybe you'd get Clark Kent at the Daily Planet working on a story, wearing his glasses. Maybe you might even get Superman proper, but you don't get any of those things. The first time we get Clark Kent, it's Henry C- Henry Cavill, right? Cavill? Cavill? <laughs> I say I Cavill. Do. Cavill, whatever. Uh, I'm just going to say Cavill because I'm, I'm a fool. I don't, I don't know how to say it. Uh, as, as a mysterious nomad working on a crab fishing boat in like the Arctic, completely out of place not not anywhere we've seen him before this is new i have not seen superman doing his thing why is he out there what is he doing where is his family where is his home why isn't he at the daily planet entirely new place 
And that was a fantastic subversion of expectations. I think Snyder did a great job with that. And of course, he gets a little bit of uh, of hero shenanigans. Something goes wrong in the crab boat. He's got to do something. He ends up breaking away from those folks. You get a little bit of personality when he stumbles into a bar and, and could beat up somebody, but decides not to. It's a very, very interesting introduction to a character we already know. Snyder knew that going in. We already know Superman. We already know this. How do you do something different? And that was a strong start. I think where this movie starts to go wrong is it hits the gas pedal too hard on this idea that we have to do things differently. We very quickly get introduced to Lois Lane, who is a globe-trotting, like, Pulitzer Prize-winning... Yeah. yeah, reporter, who has is, has all this acclaim and is arriving at a military base and is telling the general of the base to get the hell out of my way. I got a story to tell, punk. Like, <laughs> completely different, played by Amy Adams. And and that is is the first in a series of, of problems in the film that I don't think go away. Yeah, no, a, a, absolutely. Like, like you said... Um, so I remember I saw a, sorry, I saw an interview where Zack Snyder said, you know, they, they, they approach this as if like, assuming like no one had ever seen or knew Superman before they wanted to really take a fresh look at it. And that's why this movie feels very sci-fi in a way and less superhero, but it's, but at the same time, they also did things knowing full well that people are pretty familiar with the character. And like you said, we, we miss going to Smallville and, and we, or sorry, the Daily Planet, and then we also miss a lot of stuff on on the farm. We get a lot of flashback, and the thing is, I, th- I feel like there's really great m- moments in this movie, and they either just happen too fast or they don't spend enough time. Like you said, he's on this crab boat, and he goes and rescues these guys on the o- on the oil rig, and then he's on to the next scene, and then he has a flashback to saving this bus, which I really like that scene. But then it's just like over and done with. Like it just it never really takes its time in any one area. Yeah, the Snyder decided that he was just going to kind of jump around in time, right? Like we we get Clark Kent before he's kind of discovered the Fortress of Solitude, before he's kind of discovered um, his destiny, but he understands that he is not of this world. Then we jump back to him being a kid, then we jump back to him being like a younger kid, then back to present, then the Fortress of Solitude stuff. Uh, like we just kind of jump all over and, and like this film features, I should say a, a really fantastic cast. Uh, uh, Cavill is great as Superman. I like him a lot in this movie. Amy Adams is okay. I, I think, I think, I think Lois Lane is written poorly. I think yeah. she does well with what she's got, but I think fundamentally trying to write off Lois Lane as like this star studded superstar reporter when really what she should be at the start of this story is kind of a humble, you know, just trying to get by, probably living in a crappy one bedroom just outside a, a town reporter um, is a mistake. Uh, Michael Shannon as Zod is tremendous. Like you said, this movie features Kevin Cosner, Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, there's a lot of really good performances in this movie, but it's structured so non-traditionally. Like it's just jumps all over for the, like the entire second act. And you miss opportunities for our characters to become characters on their own merit. He becomes Superman because we know he's going to be Superman. We know he will be Superman, but he doesn't really earn it. We don't get him discovering his powers. We don't get him learning more about himself. We don't get him deciding why he's going to be good over evil. That never really happens. Instead, we just kind of get this montage of events presented to us. 
yeah we totally like i said we miss a lot of these kind of fundamental which i think are important when you're doing an origin story like as many how many times have we had to see batman's parents get shot in the alley but we're gonna do it you know like we're, we're going to yeah. uh you know and like batman begins is, is a great exploration of that of really taking the time to get to know the character and I, I feel like this it just moves so fast like i said the whole first half is is you know discovering who i am and after he kind of discovers who he is bam then zod shows up and he's got to deal with zod and i do think that that plot line is interesting because you know zod is like we oh great you found a planet let's rebuild it but first we gotta have to like clear ever all the inhabitants right. out you know like yeah. th- that that's some good things and then like michael shannon has some good diet like he there's this you know there's a great line where he says i will rebuild krypton atop his bones like it's just you know yeah. you got some really good villain stuff but yeah you're just missing the just like a, a simpler more straightforward plot and again get really getting into the character because you know superman is hard to write uh, and you know people complain about that all all the time and you know i think f- from what i read like superman is all about doing the right thing he's about inspiring others and he doesn't really do anything in here that's supposed to inspire the masses uh, you know he just kind of saves everyone because he can no, there's a couple of sincere character moments where it's kind of, he, he seems to be just like an inherently good person. And that's important, right? Superman is inherently good. Like that, that makes sense to me. Um, but yeah, the, the movie really struggles with this like first kind of half where it's trying to be this like very visual uh, uh, exploration into who Superman is, but it doesn't have enough like emotional conviction to get there. Like it's, the characters aren't given enough kind of problems and time and dialogue in a linear structure to show us who they really are. Um, the most, I think, compelling moment for that, for Clark Kent, is is uh, the, what happens to his father, played by Kevin Cosner. Um, th- that scene in which he's essentially unable to save his dad, right, to the long and short of it, uh, it, it really sets him back and kind of sets him on this journey to kind of leave and discover what he's doing in the universe. And that's important, but it's also ham fisted. Like I have, I, I, I frankly have trouble believing Clark Kent would not have literally moved mountains to save his father. If he'd had the ability. That's why, that's why in, in, in some of the older origin stories, his dad just like had a heart attack, right? Like it's something yeah. he couldn't control. Yeah. It's something exa- he couldn't change, but it- positioning. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the beauty of the original uh, Richard Donner's Superman is that he he can save everyone, but he can't. There are limits to what he can do. Um, and yeah, and again, that's nowhere in the mythology. This thing about his his dad dying. Generally, his parents are living at all at all times. So it's again, it's it's another thing that's kind of inserted, but I think causes more problems than it than it solves. Um, yeah. The the other thing I wanted to get on is. Apparently, Zack Snyder just hates bright colors of any size. Like, so much of this movie <laughs> looks drab and gray. Like, Krypton is all, like, kind of gray and drab. Like, this, but particularly the ships. Like, you know, the Fortress of Solitude is generally, like, this, you know, crystal palace thing. But the ships are just, like, these. They all look, like, the same. They're just oval and gray. Yeah, they're miserable. And, like... There's like three or four different ships. Like and I, I lose track of of which one is which and, and who's on what. And, it, and it's like I said, he seems to like want to stay away from traditional like Superman red and blue colors. Yeah, it feels like he watched like Superman Returns, the Brandon Routh film, and was like horrified and like I cannot possibly do anything like exciting and bold. And like I, on the one hand, you need to have a consistent artistic vision, and Snyder has it in this film. But it's so bland. Like, it, 
just because you stuck with it doesn't make it good. Like it, it really needs a little punch of something, a little saturation, a little color. And this doesn't have it. And like it, it, it starts to become apparent looking at the later DC films, like why they look the way they do, because Snyder has this commitment to vision, even if it's not the correct direction. And like that ultimately is a problem. I, I do like, I, while we're talking about it, the cinematography though, um, while I don't enjoy the colors of this film, there is a ton of CGI and it looks good. It yeah. looks sharp. They're, they're, the budget is solid. Like I said, that opening Krypton stuff is really good. The ending of the film's a bit messy as far as the animation goes, but ultimately there's there's a commitment to rooting this world in reality. And the way that's done is almost all of this film is shot handheld. And I think that's brilliant because when you've got Superman learning to fly, just blasting through the air and he's zipping by at a million miles an hour and the camera's like shaking like it would if it was attached from an airplane, like that really gives everything a sense of weight. Like, man, when he flies in this movie, he is moving like he is. He's he's faster than a speeding bullet. I mean, it's it's nuts. Like and, and it it really is effective. It makes him feel strong, but it doesn't make his character feel any more fleshed out. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of kind of a good thing and also kind of a problematic thing in this movie, which is the action. Uh, a lot of action. It's great. It's way the but like the destruction is obscene. Like so many like, <laughs> I mean, entire cities are like getting leveled, and it's just. I mean, all you're thinking about is like there's so many casualties in all these buildings that people are being thrown through. And I know they're going for that. I mean, cause that's what happens in comic books all the time. You throw someone through a building. It's, it's, it's what you read about, but it's when you see it on screen, it just looks so kind of unrealistic and absurd. And like, you're like, could you, could you just not fight this guy and just let him like rule us. So we don't like destroy our city. Yeah, like, why don't you guys, like, like fly out to, you know, why doesn't Superman grab him and blast him out to, like, over the Atlantic and throw him into, like, you know, 2,000 feet underwater and have an underwater fight for a minute? Why don't you go fight in a volcano or something? Like, it's hard to believe Superman would not be desperately trying not to blow through buildings. And, like, it's kind of the opposite problem. Maybe you could say he's a younger, dumber Superman, right? Maybe maybe he's he's hotshot Maverick who's just trying to do the right thing the best way he knows how. Maybe Zod's overpowering him. I don't know. But, like, dude, like, just leveling Metropolis <laughs> like, yeah, is, and not, well, is not a good move. Th- there's, a, there's a fight that happens um, in in Smallville uh, or just outside Smallville and where Superman kind of fights uh, a couple of henchmen. Um, what, what Fayarol, the one, like the, the female captain is, is really cool. Um, but yeah, it's just, so, I mean, in the military is involved as well. So like the, you have like military uh, helicopters shooting at them, like shooting up this town and like blowing missiles. In addition to like, you know, he gets thrown through a train. Someone picks up a train and throws it at him. It's just, it's, it's way too much. Yeah. I think the best thing to come out of the wanton destruction in the third act of this film is the train. <laughs> Hear me out. The trailer for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, because that trailer opens with Bruce Wayne in Metropolis when all of that's happening on the ground. And like that per shift in perspective from wanton destruction to trying to save people and trying to do the right thing is great setup for what's going on in that movie. That's actually brilliant. Like positioning 
Bruce Wayne and and other members, other heroes, other members of Justice League against Superman to say, hey, you did the wrong thing, although you were trying to do the right thing. Like, that's really clever. And it also positions the world of Superman, the military, to say, hey, that guy's basically a god and that's not okay. We have to do something about that. It's the same problem covered in uh, Captain America Civil War, right? Superheroes mm-hmm. are essentially gods and we can't control them, so what do we do? That's interesting. But I'm not sure that was, like, a big plan. Like, I, maybe it was. Snyder claims that was, like, the plan from the start. But, like, I have trouble believing you would walk away from the first two-thirds of this movie being this, like, sincere, introspective look at who the character is supposed to be to just blow it all out in Act 3. Like, I don't think that was part of the plan. I don't. I, I don't believe it. If it was, it was think, shoddy at best. Yeah, I think they, they were just, like, you know, we need to turn up the action in the third act, you know, big uh, finale, fight the bad guy. And it's just... But it's just so absurd. I mean, they're leveling buildings, getting thrown through buildings, like, lasering them in half. It's just, like, like you killed so yeah. many people, like, fight, fighting this guy. Millions are dead. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, oh, my God. Um... So it, it, yeah, it's just it's way too much, and it, it it's gotten it has not aged <clears throat> particularly well. Like I notice it so much more now than like when I've seen it before. I was just like, God, the destruction is just absurd. Yeah, it's it's really a lot. It's it's supposed to be some kind of the exclamation point finish on a film that feels like it didn't really find its direction in the first place. Well, and and also it's it's not just you know the the obvious loss of life in in the wanton destruction. It's just the destruction itself. It was just like. It would take you years to rebuild all this, you know, the like the the clean of the construction, uh, you know, it's those kinds of like logistical things that you just think about when you're watching an actual movie. Yeah, I did think this movie was a little too long. It is like two hours thirty eight minutes. That's ugh. dude, that's a lot. And 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 we watch a lot of movies on this show. We've said it before, and we'll say it again. Like. <laughs> If your movie's going to be two and a half hours, man, it better be pretty good. Better be a pretty good two and a half hours. And like, it was real hard for me not to be on my phone watching this film. Yeah. Because like, there's some scenes where it's like, you know, whimsical or it's like Lil Clark can't run around with a cape on out in field for four minutes. I'm just like, dude, I like, we gotta, we gotta move this along. Um, I do wonder if like the director's cut tightens that up at all, but probably not. Right. I'm sure it's just as long, if not longer. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think the, the big problem with that is that this, this feels like two separate films. Like you tried to do an origin story and like the sequel in the same film. And really it, it should have just been, you could have done a solid two hours done just the origin stuff. You know, he needs to be the, he needs to get to the Daily Planet much sooner than he does. Um, so, like I said, it, it, it seemed like Snyder was afraid to actually reference Superman iconography itself, like, you know, yeah. pulling up, pulling open his shirt. Like, he still does that in the comics. Like, it's, it's iconic now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this movie, like you said at the top, definitely tries to share some, some of that limelight that, like, Christopher Nolan had with the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, the movie opens with the Syncope logo, which is Nolan's production studio. And Nolan executive produced it, I think. Uh, and the music is by Hans Zimmer. And and briefly, I do want to talk about the score because it's tremendous. It is it's phenomenal. It's really good. The score to Man of Steel is really, really good. Yeah. Like, like I've said before, a lot of superhero, particularly Marvel films, I can't remember the, the themes of the music at all. Right. But just like Wonder Woman, like... Uh, this is incre- incredible, and it's again he brings like uh, a minim- minimalistic style that he did to the Dark Knight to this in a di- different way. He's like he's it's a modern theme. It's different. It's more in the style of how films are made now. And yeah, it's a uh, incredible. Incredible. It's definitely on like my list of soundtracks that I listen to every now and then. 
Yeah, it's a really fantastic breakdown with Dark Knight and and Batman Begins specifically. Uh, Zimmer wanted to take that old '80s Batman theme, da 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 da, and and break it down. And he broke it down to like two or three notes and plays them out long. And that's kind of the Batman theme we have in those films, dun dun. Like that's what those are. Um, this is the same thing. He took the Richard Donner Superman theme and brought it down to just two or three notes and plays them out long. And like, you really get this feeling of like scale and weight to our characters. Tremendous, really tremendous work. The score in this film is really good. Um, you're right. I can't hum Marvel themes, right? I got the Avengers and that's it. I couldn't, I couldn't hum the Guardians of the Galaxy theme. I don't know. Black Panther. I don't even know Iron Man's theme. And they all have them, right? Those are all in those scores, but nobody knows them because they're forgettable. And and these films really do a good job of separating themselves. I wish that continued throughout the DCEU. It unfortunately doesn't. And before we finish talking about it, before we wrap this up, I do want to talk about this film in the rear view, right? Because we've seen, what, four, three more Zack Snyder DCEU films from this? Yeah. This being the, the, the flag in the ground, right? This being the one that said, here's where we're going to start. Here's our direction. How does it look? Because I think this movie, well, what, what do you think, Andy? Um, I, I still think this is better than uh, Batman v Superman and Justice League by a long shot. And it, it, it also, it shows, it shows the problems that we would come to see, like way too many storylines, way too much plot way too much destructive uh action and we i feel like the later films lose some of the nuance that this does have like i said this film has some really nice moments like when he he discovered when he learns how to fly um really really nice scene you know some of the flashback stuff when he saves the the bus or when he first saves uh the the guys on the the oil rig uh, that that kind of thing um, and, you know, it's got some of those moments, but then I feel like we lose that in the later films. Like I can't remember anything that stands out in the, uh, you know, the, his later works. I feel the same way. I've, I've watched Batman V Superman. I barely remember it. I've watched justice league twice now. And the second time was grueling. Like the first time wasn't hard enough. Um, I think I, I can't help but feel like, uh, and I said this after I watched it and said it before the show, but I'm saying it again, Andy, you gotta listen. Uh, I can't help but feel like Snyder should have been able to do an independent Batman film. I know this was coming hot off the heels of the Dark Knight trilogy. I know they really wanted to catch up with Marvel. They thought, hey, why do the Batman story again? It's probably not going to be better than Batman Begins. Just roll in Batfleck, get Ben Affleck on set, and make Batman v Superman. Let's go that way. And that, I think, was a huge, tremendous sweeping mistake. You tried to introduce Lex Luthor in that film. You try to introduce a new Batman and a new Batcave and a new everything Batman in that movie. You try to introduce this conflict between the two of them. It's too much. That movie basically has the problem of being two movies when it should be one. And I think this movie had a lot of promise. I really do. I think its biggest problems are in structure and direction. I think if Zack Snyder had been given the opportunity to do an independent Batman film, ditch the cosmic stuff, ditch the general general Zod, ditch the destiny and bring it down to earth and have Bruce Wayne in the alley with his parents to becoming the Batman that we know, except a bigger, better buffer Batman. I think you got something. I really do. I think, I think that film would have been much stronger than this. I think that film would have been stronger than Batman v Superman. That never happened. And I think that's where the series really started to take a turn for the worst. But no, I think I, there's there's a lot of promise in this one. I, I absolutely agree. Like because of Zack Snyder liking this much darker 
role. You could have, and again, you didn't have to do a Batman origin film. We we've all seen it, and Batman Begins at this point was only, uh, you know, seven or eight years old. So you could have just done an independent, uh, f- film. I kind of like the second movie of the uh, of Batman, and then just have someone with a little bit more lightheartedness do do Superman. And I f- I feel like the only one that's been, like like that's got it right is like the. F- the first two Superman movies, like the originals, like Richard Donner ones, it's it's a hard character to write, and I feel like it's even harder to adapt to the screen. Especially you get you get a bunch of committee people in saying it's got the movie's got to be this and it's got to be that, um, and you yeah you miss a lot of things that that are you know just read the comics and put the comics on screen. That's what Marvel does. That's why they're so successful. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I, I think Superman is notoriously difficult to adapt. Um, he is very difficult to write for, to put on screen. Um, there are few Superman films that work. Um, Richard Donner managed to get it because he had this kind of Adam Westy approach to like what was going on and kind of this goofy comic Batman that ultimately had a lot of heart. Superman Returns has things that work in it. This movie has things that work in it, but neither of them have really managed to capture the best parts of, I think, who the Man of Steel is supposed to be. That being said, I think Cavill is a brilliant Superman. I still do. I really hope he doesn't hang it up. I, I hope he does more movies because I, I really do think he's good. Um, with that, with all of that being said, uh, this took so much longer than our News of the World <laughs> review. Andy, any other thoughts before final recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Man of Steel? I would if you're a big, uh, you know, if you're a big comic book fan or a big fan of superhero movies. And you know, I remember seeing it at the time; like it was very different. It did have that going for it because the the kind of Superman Returns remake was very much a remake of the of the 1978 Superman. So it was nice to to get something that was a lot different. There. There are a lot of good things about this film. There are some good scenes. Uh, Henry Cavill's really good. Looks incredible as as Superman. It's too long. There are too many storylines, and it looks really drab and gray uh, a lot of times. But there's a lot of promise, and I would have loved to have seen a, a sequel, a follow up uh, to this film that was just like a sta- another standalone uh, Superman film. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I I don't know if I'd flat out recommend it. I, if you have HBO Max, is where we watch it. Throw it on one day. You 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 know it's it's not a movie you need to pay the most attention to. There's definitely some times you could like get up, do some laundry, <laughs> check check a couple texts on your yeah. phone because it is long. But there's parts of it that really do work. And I, I think looking back, I think this movie featured a lot of promise for what was to come. I wish it had got there. I think the people in it are good. I I like the the, the look of it. I I don't I don't mind the feel of it so much. It just doesn't have the structure I think it needed to get over the finish line and really be tremendous. But, um, you know, Man of Steel really isn't that bad. It's not. Um, And and I think that's, you know, that's good enough for a first film. I do. So that's our show. Uh, Andy, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are actually going to watch the, the film that we talked about during the trailers, uh, Lockdown, the uh, Anne Hathaway, Chewy Tell, Ejiofor rom-com comedy uh, sorry, rom-com crime caper thing. That's on HBO Max. Uh, actually comes out tomorrow. Uh, so that's where you can find that. And we're also going to be taking a look at uh, One Night in Miami, which is on Amazon Prime. And that is directed, I believe, by Regina King. Yes. If I, uh, 
of of Watchmen fame and who is uh, Oscar winner uh, herself, phenomenal actor. And uh, so One Night in Miami, it tells the fictional story uh, of the meeting of Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown and discussing their roles within uh, the civil rights movement. Yeah, I, 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 I'm really interested in what's going on in One Night in Miami. One, because I really respect Regina King, and I'll be interested to see what she can turn out as a director. Two, you're going to need a pretty solid script to hold up the fictional retelling of something that didn't happen, f- featuring four tremendous world players regarding the civil rights movement and black culture in general. And, you know, this lockdown movie... What the hell? Maybe it'll be a fun romp. So I'm interested to see both. If you would like to hear our reviews on those films, if you want to know more about what we thought about Man of Steel, or you have hot takes on news of the world, if you want to talk to us about news or the trailers we talked about this week on the show, the best way you can get a hold of us is to email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com, which of course is a spinoff of our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, where you can see interviews, news, reviews, other things we've done. You can find us on Facebook where we live stream the show every single Tuesday and of course you can comment down there for, to get your correspondence read live on the air we're on Twitter we're on Instagram and we archive all of our episodes on Facebook uh, sorry YouTube excuse me I think they're also on Facebook too and you can hear our audio at iTunes Google Play Spotify iHeartMedia Pandora I think is doing podcasts mm-hmm. now we're in all those usual places the best way you can help us if you enjoyed listening to the show today is just subscribe Subscribe to the show so you can get new episodes straight to your phone every single week. Drop us a rating and review if you could swing it. It's good podcast etiquette and you have no idea how much it helps us. Please do. It is the best thing you can do for us. With that, thank you so much for listening. Uh, From all of us here at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.